Welcome to the one and only Circle City Setup with your host and the one and only Zach Griffith. Hello. Welcome back to Circle City Cinema. I am your host, Zach Griffith. And tonight, talking about probably... Trying to think about this, if this was the most anticipated movie of 2022. And I came to the conclusion that it was definitely top three. Uh, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Couldn't decide if it was the most anticipated or not. Like I said, it ended up in top three. I think the Batman and Top Gun Maverick were right there as well in terms of anticipation. Top Gun Maverick, because you had uh, all the old heads, if you will, clamoring for that movie. Plus, that movie was delayed. I don't even know how many times. And the Batman, which was also delayed, but Robert Pattinson is Batman. New take on the character. Definitely my most anticipated of 2022. But this one here, Wakanda Forever, most anticipated for for many reasons. I mean, obviously, the tragic passing of Chadwick Boseman, which, you know, changed many things in the world. But uh, as far as this movie goes, changed it dramatically in terms of what story was going to be told, how it was going to be told. The lasting effects on the MCU, which, of course, needless to say, the least of concern regarding his passing, but in terms of the impact it had on the future of the MCU, I don't think we'll ever know that. I don't think we'll ever know how his death changed the trajectory of the MCU. Because I was of the opinion that after... The Infinity Saga, where the phases of the franchise, if you will, were Thor, Cap, and Iron Man. As we were moving into the Multiverse Saga, I really felt that the phases of the franchise, the torch would be passed to Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, and Black Panther. And now, T'Challa is dead. Uh, the character is dead. So I will cover that as well, but definitely they had to do some reshaping of the saga on the fly, but uh, directed by Ryan Coogler, who comes back to direct the sequel after doing the first one, which was a massive success. It was actually the first uh, superhero film to be nominated for Best Picture. Um, and he is one of the great young directors that we have today. He made great movies such as Fruitvale Station, uh, the first Creed film, of course, the first Black Panther film, all of these films starring Michael B. Jordan. So let's just get right into it. I will start with things I've seen lately. Band of Brothers. This is this is one of these things that I've been putting off. Uh, probably one of the most famous pieces of media that I have not seen. Everyone and their mother has been telling me. Uh, you know, watch Band of Brothers. If you love war, you love this. Uh, my good friend Cooper Ogle does an annual rewatch of Band of Brothers uh, every year. And then I think the kicker for me was finally when I was at a wedding this past weekend. Uh, there was a couple sitting next to me and lovely Abigail. And they said they also rewatch Band of Brothers. 
every year. And I was like, God damn, you know, this, this keeps coming up and has an outstanding IMDb rating of 9.4, which, uh, many, there's a few shows on IMDb with above nine breaking bad Sopranos and game of Thrones and the wire right off the top of my head. So it's in great company there. People who you would not think would be into the war genre were telling me to watch this uh, series. And, you know, doing some preliminary research before I watched it, of course, I saw the rating. Uh, Many critics were calling it arguably the greatest miniseries of all time. And I read one review that said it changed what a miniseries could be. And it blazed a path, it appears, for HBO to dominate this genre of TV, a miniseries where it's a one-off. Uh, speaking of Marvel, that's kind of what they're doing now with, with WandaVision and Falcon Winter Soldier and stuff like that, where it's a one-off season. You never see these characters uh, in this show again. It's just a one-season thing. A cast of some people you might recognize from other forms of media or other shows and there's plenty of those in this and it paved the way for shows like Chernobyl uh, which I've seen as outstanding uh, and the Pacific which I actually have seen I've seen the Pacific and that was awesome uh, and it just it has been a trailblazer it came out in 2001 so it's 21 years old and people still watch it every year Still talked about, still maintains that high 9.4 rating on IMDb. And I'm four episodes in, and I totally agree with the rating. I totally agree with the rating. I'm a big war war movie guy. Uh, Saving Private Ryan, I think, is the best war movie ever made. And that uh, leads me to this point. This show, executive produced by Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks. Executive produced by those two. So it's in great hands, a great cast with, with Damian Lewis and, and David Schwimmer and Ron Livingston. It's it's just been a joy to watch. And it's it the thing about the war genre that I love is that it a great piece of war material, whether it's a TV show or a movie. It's probably the closest a civilian like you or me who hasn't served is going to get to actually seeing war. And, you know, Saving Private Ryan, that opening scene so famous for making some World War II vets leave the theater because it brought on flashes of PTSD. So realistic that it made them do that. Now, I'm not saying... Every piece of war media has to do that because not every one of them is saving Private Ryan. But if it's done to that degree or close to it, it shows you the horrors of war, which I think are very important to understand if you're a regular civilian. Uh, it shows you the brotherhood that's created when these guys are out there fighting for the freedoms and fighting uh, for their lives. Honestly, it's, 
it's one it's a very unique genre in that way and that it has real repercussions and it's often based on a true story like band of brothers is based on a true story saving private ryan you know not really based on a true story but a lot of real instances in that movie actually happened um and i i'm just a big fan of the war genre and this has absolutely been a worthy addition to my library for that uh you know i've recently just this year i know i've watched private ryan again i've watched fury i've watched platoon i've watched full metal jacket i've watched apocalypse now uh, i've really been on a war movie kick this year and this is a great way to cap it off i'm probably gonna watch the pacific again after i'm done with it uh and i might join that club of watching it annually um that's a great it's a great miniseries 10 episodes on hbo max i recommend it i'm only four episodes in but highly recommend it next thing i've seen lately i watched saw and saw 2 uh for no particular reason last weekend uh the first Saw, one of the great modern horror movies, came out in 2004, directed by James Wan, who has gone on to make uh, a couple of the Conjuring movies. He directed Furious 7, which uh, was uh, <laughs> quite a quite a uh, departure from Saw. And he also directed um, Aquaman. And I believe he's directing, directing uh, Aquaman The Lost Kingdom, which comes out next year, which I'm by the way, kind of hyped for. Uh, but it's one of the great modern horror movies, and it wasn't really considered that when it came out because, you know, body horror, not for everybody. I'm not a particular fan of it, and honestly, if you are a fan of it, seek help. But uh, I enjoyed the parts where, you know, the human spirit and the human will are put to the test. Now, I'm not going to sit here and try and make Saw out to be some artistic movie, but there are parts where you wonder, what would I do if I was chained to a pipe in a bathroom with a stranger and I thought that was my only way out? What, what would I do? Would I saw my foot off? Maybe. Probably. I don't know. Um, a great twist ending. I feel like the ending's really famous and well-known by now. Uh, I still won't say it, even though it's been 18 years. I won't say it, but really is one of the great modern horror movies. Like I said, wasn't taken that way by most critics when it came out uh, for the body horror, for, uh, the, I guess, the subpar acting in some reviews I read, which I disagreed with. I thought the acting was pretty, pretty great especially for a horror movie and a low-budget horror movie at that. Uh, made a shitload of money. Definitely not for everybody, but uh, could be a October pod next year for Halloween. Could be could be one of those. Uh, and Saw 2, which I had never seen, and actually, it's really entertaining. You know, the first one, you have two people trapped in a room together. Uh, with a dead body in the middle. And the second one you have, I think it was like six or seven ex-cons trapped in a whole ass house together. They have to solve riddles and puzzles from Jigsaw uh, to get out of the house. Uh, there's like this poisonous gas that's slowly siphoning into the house. 
uh, as they're trying to find a way out. It's really entertaining. And it was really, I haven't seen all the Saw movies, but it's one of the better sequels. Um, like I said, not for everybody. They're all on Hulu right now. If you want to check them out. Um, so I've seen that. And then, uh, Schindler's List. Me and lovely Abigail watched this uh, last weekend as well. One of the 10 best movies of all time, in my opinion. I'm thinking of doing a pod eventually where I just bang out a list of, in my opinion, the 10 best movies of all time. And let me tell you, when that pod happens, you'll be hearing about this. So I'll keep this kind of short. Uh, One of the 10 best movies of all time, in my opinion. I think I've said it on the record multiple times, but one of only three movies that I've cried during. Um, The ending scene where Liam Neeson's character, Oscar Schindler, is looking around and thinking out loud to himself, if I had just sold this car, I could have saved 10 more people. If I had sold this pin made out of gold, I could have saved one more person. If I had just sold my suit, I could have saved two more people. And it's really harrowing because this guy was hiring people. He was hiring Jews during the war to work in his factory so they wouldn't be sent to the camps. And at the end, he's basically realizing I could have saved more if I had just not been as selfish when he actually did a great thing. He saved uh, thousands of Jews from being killed, but I think it's the reality of the war and the Holocaust hitting him at the end when he realizes I could have saved more. And it's very, uh, it's a very emotional scene. It's a very emotional movie. It's one of the hardest sits to get through for any movie. Uh, and one Steven Spielberg, best director. It really shut a lot of critics up about Steven Spielberg because to that point, he was a great director, no doubt, but the knock on him was that he couldn't make an artsy movie that appealed to the Academy. And he showed them pretty quick what bullshit that was by making this and Jurassic Park in the same fucking year. And they have never talked shit about Steven Spielberg ever since. So it's, it's the all time. He basically put the Academy on a poster. He put critics on a poster by saying, look, I can make a high grossing at that point, the highest grossing movie of all time, Jurassic Park. I can make a high grossing movie that appeals to every audience in America. But I can also make this harrowing top 10 movie of all time Holocaust drama in the same year. And he was basically like, hold my beer. And they did. They did hold his beer. He won best picture. Uh, He won best director. It was his first best director when he would win another one for Saving Private Ryan. And this movie really put Liam Neeson and Ray Fiennes on the map. Uh, Liam Neeson, as Oscar Schindler, like I said, didn't win best actor. Uh, I actually forget who won. Let me look that up real quick, but I actually forget who won. I remember not being upset that he did not win. And then you have Ray Fiennes as 
Eamon Goth, who is one of the most evil people to ever live, definitely one of the most evil people uh, that that I have seen in a movie. Um, he did some some heinous things in this movie. Uh, let's see here. Pulling this up real quick. Just to see if we can get it. Best actor. Tom Hanks won for Philadelphia. So tough beat there. But uh gotta believe he came in second place. I'm looking at these other nominations and I don't I don't really see him winning. Yeah, I'm looking at these nominations here. A stacked category. Tom Hanks won for Philadelphia. Then you had Daniel Day Lewis, Lawrence Fishburne, Anthony Hopkins, and Liam Neeson all nominated. Really tough beat. That was the first of back-to-back Oscars for Tom Hanks, so you're just not winning that one. But uh, great runner-up performance. One of the great performances of the 90s, for sure. Liam Neeson uh, in one of the top 10 movies of all time. But I really put him and Ray Fiennes on the map. You know, they were not in a lot of big movies up to that point, and this really put them on the trajectory to become that. Ray Fiennes was in The English Patient a couple years later, and then, of course, that one Best Picture, and then he went on to be, of course, Lord Voldemort. He went on to be in the Grand Budapest Hotel, so he was doing fine for himself. And Liam Neeson, of course, you know, was in Star Wars five years later, and was in a bunch of movies, still in a bunch of movies. So really put them on the map to be able to do those things. If you're wondering, the other two movies I've cried during, <laughs> the aforementioned Furious 7 and Inside Out. And maybe someday on a different pod, I'll explain why yeah. I cried during those and why the three movies I cried during are so different from each other. But uh, Schindler's List, ch- definitely check it out if you haven't. A uh, very harrowing, emotional watch. Very tough to get through, as any form of Holocaust media is. But uh, worth it. I think everybody should see it at least once. Uh, just, I just think it's really important to see. And then in some news, uh, I'll start with this one since it's happier. John Wick Chapter 4 trailer released last week. This is a franchise that... Basically, see, in this era where everything's made into a franchise, whether it should be or not, this is one where I am elated that it was. Because you have somebody, Keanu Reeves, whose career wasn't really doing great when the first John Wick movie came out in 2014. And it absolutely brought him back to the mainstream with moviegoers, with movie fans. And this franchise now has no end in sight, has a TV show coming, has expanded the universe in textbook ways. I mean, if you think about the first movie, it's basically just a guy who comes out of retirement as a hitman to get revenge on this, you know, piece of shit gangster's son who jacked his car and killed his dog. And it's just a good old-fashioned revenge story. You know, it's like a hitman's Rambo. It's basically what it is. And they took a movie with an 80s plot, put it in the 2010s, ramped up the violence and choreography times a hundred fucking thousand. And 
it was a fucking banger. And the second one was a banger, and the third one was a banger. And now this fourth one is on the way in March, has a kick-ass uh, plot, and I, there's no end in sight for this franchise. And I, I, I love that because... <laughs> You know, in an era where everything in their mother is made into a fucking franchise, this one actually deserves it. And the plot, this is ripped from Wikipedia. So sorry to all my professors who told me not to use Wikipedia as a source. John Wick uncovers a path to defeating the high table. But before he can earn his freedom, Wick must fight off, sorry, face off against a new enemy with powerful alliances across the globe and forces that turn old friends into foes. And the trailer didn't give us much, but give us more horses, uh, more deserts, more Lawrence Fishburne. Uh, <laughs> Lawrence Fishburne, one of the great characters uh, in recent years. <laughs> I am the throne, baby. I am the Bowery. Just one of the great energetic, don't give a shit performances from this guy as the Bowery King. Uh, I'm really looking forward to this. Comes out in March of next year. The last movie made a shitload of money. It was actually the first movie to knock off Endgame at the box office. And it was just two hours of nonstop action. And there's a great story behind it too, which is really rare to find these days. And then the final piece of news. Sad. Very sad. Actually ruined my day uh, when it broke. <laughs> Kevin Conroy has died at the age of 66. Um, of course, most famous for voicing Batman in most animated media and video game media for 30 years from 1992 through 2022 when he died. Um, most famously in Batman, the animated series also in justice league, Batman beyond and the Batman Arkham games. Arkham Asylum, Arkham City, and Arkham Knight. Whenever I read Batman comics, uh, this was the voice I heard. And there was all kinds of videos that came out after he died. Um, and since I'm a degenerate, I spent a lot of time on YouTube in the past, even before he died, watching him read the lines. That's actually, if you enjoy animated movies and stuff check out youtube and just type in whatever like for this one i did arkham city behind the scenes and it was mark hamill and kevin conroy reading their lines and if you think it's just a schmuck like me behind a mic talking no it, they're they're legitimately acting i mean mark hamill you saw him transform into the joker in this Arkham city clip that I watched, it was, it was crazy. And the same thing with Kevin Conroy, you know, he totally changed his facial expression, his stance when he was talking into the mic. And he's, he's the, he is Batman. He's the voice of Batman. Uh, he had the longest run as Batman. He even actually got to play him live action in uh in the crisis of infinite earths and the cw so i'm glad he got to do that he actually came up with the idea to have bruce wayne and batman have two different voices in the animated series uh which is a genius idea that somehow 
as genius as Paul Dini and Bruce Tim and the rest of those people were behind that series, they didn't think of that. They wanted him to have the same voice. And Kevin Conroy said, it doesn't make any sense. Bruce Wayne is the most famous person in Gotham. People know his voice anywhere. Why would he not use a different one when he was Batman? And they thought, oh, you're right, Kevin. And the rest is history. Guy was a rare talent. Um, he's going to be missed. It was very, very sad. Very sad to to hear that he passed. Um, but let's get into it. Black Panther, Wakanda, Forever. Directed by Ryan Coogler. Written by Ryan Coogler and Joe Robert Cole, who also wrote American Crime Story... The People versus O.J. Simpson, uh, which I thought was very interesting, which was a great, a great show. Speaking of miniseries, a great show. Starring Letitia Wright, Lupita Nyong'o, Denai Guerrera, Winston Duke, Tanach Huerta, Angela Bassett, a 7.4 out of 10 on IMDb, and a really shitty review on RogerEbert.com by Robert Daniels, who is actually a critic I really like. And I don't understand what his problem was with this movie. Uh, 1.5 out of four stars that he gave. Which I don't, I don't understand that at all. I, don't, I really don't. But I was extremely impressed with how Coogler and the crew pulled this off. Uh, it, almost insurmountable circumstances where not just the star of the movie, but one of the faces of this multi-billion-dollar franchise passes away tragically and not only do you have to come up on the fly how to finish the story and change the story but you also have to you know humanly deal with his death and I think it's arguably the most daunting task in MCU history even more daunting than putting all the Infinity Saga together and making it come together as one at the end of phase three because you had to totally change the story. You had to both stay true to the story and the characters while also paying respect to the man who got you there. And I really, I'm really curious to see where it is among daunting tasks and cinematic history. Um, I feel like when Heath Ledger died, there was a big pressure on Christopher Nolan and the rest of the crew with Dark Knight that that movie be successful and it definitely was and it was a great send off to the man who made it possible and I, I feel the same way about this I feel the same way about this this was a great send off to one of the great actors of the past 20 years <laughs> I'm not really sure how else they would have covered his death in the movie besides how they did. So in the movie, uh, they get right to it in the beginning. First off, the opening Marvel crawl uh, was all Black Panther theme, was all T'Challa theme, which I thought was very nice. Very nice. And they got right into the tribute and taking care of it narratively right away. They didn't waste any time. Because this was Shuri's movie. This was absolutely Shuri and Namor's movie. But they paid respect 
to T'Challa right off the bat. And I really love that because not only do you, for lack of a better term, get it out of the way, but you do it in a way that makes sense to the story while also paying respect to this man who built this character, built this franchise within a franchise that became so iconic that you, you paid him respect. You paid him respect. And for that, I have respect because it's a daunting task. Like I said, it was the most daunting task since coming to a close with the Infinity Saga. Um, so in the beginning, it's explained in Shuri's lab that T'Challa is dying from this disease that's rapidly killing him. And she comes up with something that she thinks will save him. She turns to give it to him, but her mother, Queen Ramonda, uh, shakes her head and it's revealed that T'Challa has passed. They have a funeral uh, in Wakanda for him. And that's, that's really it. He's mentioned, of course, throughout the rest of the movie, but... It really becomes Shuri's movie after that, and it really becomes Namor's movie after that. And so I, I really respect that they were able to send him off uh, in an honorable way while also moving the story right along. It's it's not... Uh, I don't, Nobody envies that position for Ryan Coogler. And I, I, I mean, I, I would have given him a pass if this movie sucked. And it it did not suck, unless you ask Robert Daniels, of course. But it did not suck. In fact, I'll get into my rankings for Phase 4 at the end of this pod. But it ranks very highly, I'll just say that. It ranks very highly, and I I was very impressed. Very impressed. Uh, But there's definitely a noticeable void in the movie. But it's covered up very well. They cover up the void of Bozeman very well with a great villain in Namor and phenomenal performances from Letitia Wright and Angela Bassett and Winston Duke. And they also introduced Ironheart, Riri Williams, who, you know, is not a ripoff of Tony Stark. Uh, it's a nice homage to Tony Stark. I felt, uh, I didn't feel like they were trying to replace Tony. Uh, so they kind of struck a nice balance with, Hey, I want to pay respect to this man who is probably the smartest man in the MCU, him or Bruce Banner or Hank Pym, one of the three. And they pay homage to him while also kind of giving him a intellectual successor with Riri, Riri Williams. Uh, Riri Williams, actually a newer character, uh, premiered in 2016 in the comics. So she's only a six-year-old character. She's not very, very old at all. And she's already making appearances in, in this uh, franchise. So I think that tells you all you need to know about Marvel's feelings on her. As for making this movie, Shuri's, it was kind of predictable, but I don't know what other way they would have gone because, you know, the Black Panther is a mantle that is passed down from one person to another in Wakanda. So the only really logical person to pass it down to after the passing of of uh, T'Challa would be Shuri. And she really, at the beginning of this movie, you're like, man, I don't know. She looks like she belongs, you know, 
like she was in Infinity War, you know, working in the lab, uh, staying there. But she really grows into it throughout the movie, and it's really believable by the time she does take up the mantle that, hey, I, you know, she deserves it, and I think she can pull it off. Uh, so that was also a really cool part of this. Angela Bassett was awesome, uh, reprising her role as Queen Ramonda. Um, and then Winston Duke, of course, coming back as M'Baku. Really great performance by him. He's a great actor. He's been in some great stuff lately. Us, of course, in 2019. And then both the Black Panther movies. I hope he does more stuff. He He's really energetic in everything he does. He's one of those physically imposing actors, but he makes every other character look good and feel good in the story, which is really hard to pull off when you're physically intimidating. It really has to... It really says a lot about his acting ability to to play into that. And like I said, the introduction of Ironheart, who's actually getting her own show, uh, I believe in Phase 5. Um, and after this movie, I'm really excited for it. I am really curious. She's basically... So as Miles Morales is to Spider-Man, Ironheart is to Iron Man. But in this universe, it sounds like Ironheart is going to be that to War Machine, Don Cheadle, um, which I'm all done for. I'm all done for that. The best scene, I have the opening scene. Uh, like I said, they took care of the Bozeman storyline immediately uh, and really gracefully I thought um, a lot going on in that scene you know there's there's just a lot if you saw the movie you know what I mean there's just a lot of, a lot of action going on a lot of hectic stuff and I thought they really composed it really well any scene with Namor Tanash Huerta fucking dominates this movie and he's my big winner for this movie this guy fucking dominated every scene he was in I'll get into Namor a little bit near the end here, but guy fucking dominated every scene he was in. He he would come in, he would score. He's like Benedict Matherin. He would come in, score 10 points in 10 minutes, go back to the bench. And you would be like, damn, really felt that guy. Really felt that guy when he was in the game. Uh, any scene with him. The death of Queen Ramonda, which... I honestly did not see coming. I thought they put Shuri through enough shit with her dad dying in Civil War, of course with T'Challa passing, and then they fucking killed her mom. They fucking killed her mom, which Namor killed her pretty brutally, drowned her. Um, I I really didn't see it coming. And when I left the theater, I was like, yeah, I probably should have seen that coming because... Somebody like Angela Bassett, prestige actress, you know, in a lot of TV lately at this point in her career when she probably only wants to do award stuff. Maybe she has to be killed off. I don't know, but I should have seen it coming is the point. And then one of my favorite scenes and confirming a belief I had before the movie that he was going to show up, Shuri meets Killmonger 
in the ancestral plane. Uh, so the ancestral plane, as you might remember from the first movie, it's a place where you see ancestors that have passed, basically. And T'Challa saw T'Chaka in Black Panther, the first movie. And here, Shuri is going to hopefully see her mother or see T'Challa. And she doesn't see either of them. She sees Eric Killmonger. And as it turns out, she actually has some of Killmonger, if not a lot, inside of her. The vengeful spirit who wants to avenge her brother's death and more so her mother's death at the hands of Namor. She actually says she wants to kill Namor. And for a second, I thought she actually was. And then I remembered Marvel was a Disney property and she probably couldn't. Um, And then we have the reveal of T'Challa's son with Nakia. There's all kinds of things that could come out of this. There's definitely potential for a storyline in the Wakanda series that Coogler is doing for Disney+. Plus. That is my most likely landing spot for this son of T'Challa, whose name is also T'Challa. Um, but another thing, you know, I thought it was a nice nod to, to Chadwick. I, I really, I really did. I didn't think it was disrespectful. I read some things online that said it was disrespectful. I didn't think so. I didn't think so. Um, it was, it was really cool and not something that I saw coming. Uh, now we get into Namor. I want to cover Namor here because Namor, I thought was the best part of this movie. I thought was the big winner of the movie and really opened a lot of people's eyes to what an MCU villain could be. And he adds to the list of great villains in phase four of the MCU, the first phase of the multiverse saga. So I want to give a little history lesson on Namor straight from my book here, since I'm a degenerate nerd, the Marvel encyclopedia 2016 edition. Namor commonly known as Namor, the Submariner, the ruler of the undersea realm of Atlantis, which is not called Atlantis in the movie. It is called, well, let me see what it is called here. They probably don't have the rights to Atlantis since Aquaman DC. Tolokan. Tolokan is uh, basically what? It's basically Atlantis, but they can't call it that because of DC. So, here we go, straight from the book here. Prince Namor is the mutant son of a blue-skinned Atlantean princess and an American sea captain. He was raised in the underwater kingdom of Atlantis and grew up hating all surface dwellers. During World War II, Namor briefly sided with the Allies against the Axis powers and joined the super teams known as the Invaders and the Liberty Legion. Namor's a really old character. He... His first appearance was in April of 1939, which is the same year Batman uh, was introduced. So he's as old as Batman. Real name, Prince Namor. Human name, Namor McKenzie, a.k.a. the Submariner. He's the Lord of Atlantis. He is based in Atlantis. He is six foot two, 278 pounds, fucking chiseled, blue-gray eyes, and black hair. Um fucking unit after the war 
Namor became a member of the All Winners Squad, but returned to Atlantis when the squad disbanded in 1949. He returned to the surface world in the late 50s and encountered a man called Destiny who removed his memory and sent him to New York where he lived as a derelict. His memory was restored by Johnny Storm, a.k.a. the Human Torch. Namor turned against the human race when he learned that the city of Atlantis had been destroyed in his absence. That'll do it. During the first period, during the first battle with the Fantastic Four, Namor fell in love with the Invisible Woman and offered to spare mankind if she became his bride. Look for this to be a potential subplot when the Fantastic Four are introduced. I believe that's going to be in Phase 6. Holy shit. He later attempted to win her by buying a movie studio and offering the Fantastic Four $1 million to star in a motion picture when they ran short of funds. My God, they must have been running on fumes for stories in this period. Jesus Christ. That is shite. I was not aware of that. When traveling in the Arctic, Namor once stumbled upon a tribe of Eskimos who were worshiping a figure frozen in ice. In a fury... Namor hurled the figure into the sea. The ice melted to reveal Captain America, who was later picked up and revived by the Avengers. So there you go, folks. Namor, responsible for the dethawing of Captain America, whether he knew it or not. Namor has been married twice to Lady Dorma and then Marina, but both of his wives died. He also has been linked to the Invisible Woman, Emma Frost, and Namora, who was in this movie. Namor's son, Kamor, tried to take over Atlantis, but Namor evacuated the Atlanteans to Latveria, the home of Doctor Doom, and detonated the villain Nitro inside Atlantis to foil Kamor. Namor joined both the Illuminati and Cabal, and he sided with the X-Men when the Phoenix Force returned to Earth and was one of the Phoenix Five to be given its partial power. Despite the fact that Black Panther is also with the Illuminati, Namor has been unable to avoid war with Wakanda. So there you go, folks. A little, uh, little history lesson on Namor, a.k.a. Namor the Submariner. Uh, basically got Captain America out of ice and tried to get Susan Storm from Reed Richards. He will steal your girl. Essential storylines from Namor. In Fantastic Four number four, Namor regains, regains his memory from the Human Torch and declares war on the surface world after they, you know, they trash his hometown. Fair enough. Fantastic Four annual number one, Namor is reunited with the Kingdom of Atlantis and actually invades New York City. In Tales to Astonish, number 70 through 76, Namor seeks the sacred trident of Neptune and proves that he is worthy to rule Atlantis. So kind of like we saw in DC with Aquaman, you know, that whole story of becoming worthy to be the king of Atlantis, kind of what that does here. Marvel feature number one, he helps form the Defenders. And then in the Avengers... In the Avengers number 262, Namor joins 
the Avengers. So he actually was uh, a founding member of the Defenders, which on the Netflix show consisted of Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Iron Fist, and Luke Cage. So Namor was actually one of the original founding members of the Defenders. So there you go, folks. A little history on Namor. I thought he was the best part of the movie. Uh, not a villain. Uh, Tanach Huerta actually described him as an anti-hero. In the comics, he's a full-on hero. I know it didn't sound like it, but he's not that bad. He's not that bad. Uh, but he's a great, great addition to the universe. He adds to the list, as I said, of great villains in Phase 4. We had the Green Goblin in No Way Home. We had Gore in Thor Love and Thunder. He was the best part of that movie by far, by a fucking mile. Scarlet Witch, who became a villain in Multiverse of Madness, went back to being good. And then we have Namor here, who was a villain and I think he's going to become a hero definitely going to become a hero eventually and his introduction opens the door into another world for the mcu much like the guardians of the galaxy did they brought the mcu to space much like loki did they brought the mcu into the multiverse and black panther which introduced the avengers team on a worldwide scale so this is going to do a lot for the mcu and the places they can go. I mean, we're now in the water. So this this thing just keeps expanding in ways that we did not think it would. I want to get into my phase four rankings now and then talk a little bit about phase five because believe it or not, folks, phase four is over. It's fucking over. And I'm, I want to kind of discuss the multiverse saga, which, you know, the first three phases of the MCU are the infinity saga. And then as we learned a few months ago, the next three phases are going to be the multiverse saga with Kang the Conqueror as the big bad. And my question is, is the multiverse saga being rushed? Because phase four is over in less than two years. It began with WandaVision in early 2021 and it ended with Black Panther Wakanda Forever last week so not even two years have passed and the phase is over by comparison the first phase of the infinity saga phase one was four years 2008 to 2012 began with iron man ended with the avengers and the infinity saga is one of the great achievements in the history of movies but the first part of it took four years so i'm just concerned that you know, a lot of these shows especially are getting really mixed or bad reviews start the multiverse saga. And some of these movies in this first phase, not great. Thor Love and Thunder, pretty bad. Eternals, mixed reviews. Black Widow, mixed reviews. Like, I think we're rushing it. I think we're getting away from what made the MCU so unique and so distinct as something that DC could not copy. And it feels like DC might be catching up. They had the Snyder Cut last year. They had the Suicide Squad last year. They had Peacemaker last year. Like, it's not... 
I'm not saying they're catching up. There's still a hell of a ways behind, but they had a better showing recently than Marvel did in Phase 4. I'll go ahead and rank the things here for the movies in Phase 4. So number 7, I have Thor, Love, and Thunder. Just dog shit. Number 6, I had The Eternals, which I have not seen yet, but gotta believe it's better than Thor, Love, and Thunder. Just have to believe that for my own sanity. Black Widow at number 5. I actually liked Black Widow a lot. Definitely some visual effects that sucked ass, but it wasn't as bad as people made it out to be. I, I actually really enjoyed it, and I kind of want to watch it again. Number four, I have Multiverse of Madness. Really wanted to put it number three. I just couldn't put it ahead of the three I had in front of it. Um, Really enjoyable movie. Really s- and not scary. I thought the horror elements were overblown, but jump scares at least. And really took the multiverse into the nth degree. Which, if you're calling this a multiverse saga, you kind of need that. Then I have Wakanda Forever at number three. uh, For all the reasons that I've said so far. Number two, I have Shang-Chi. And then number one, I have Spider-Man No Way Home. Um, I thought those top two were pretty pretty self-explanatory. I thought they were by far the best installments of phase but to answer my own question yes i feel like the multiverse saga is being rushed i thought some of these shows were shit out way too fast and you could tell i haven't seen miss marvel or she hulk yet but they're next on my list to watch after band of brothers and let me tell you i'm not really looking forward to it because they are showing sub six ratings on IMDb. I mean, what the fuck? What the fuck, man? I mean, what in the hell? But I have hope for phase six. And here's why Ant Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania, full on introducing Kang, <laughs> Captain America New World Order, passing the mantle once again. Uh, well, the mantle's already been passed, but Sam Wilson getting his own movie as Captain America. Guardians of the Galaxy 3, which I think is actually going to be a swan song for the Guardians. I I'm not confirming that, but I think it could be. The Marvels, which I couldn't give less of a shit about. The Thunderbolts, which I actually am really intrigued by, and I'll go over that in a little bit. And then Blade, which is undoubtedly my most hyped movie uh, for this next phase coming up. Whether it should be or not, I don't know because it's gone through so many rewrites already. As far as I can tell, they're starting from scratch right now, which is not encouraging. But I have to believe they're going to come through on Blade. Quantumania, this comes out in February and it's actually the next Marvel movie to come out. You got to be excited for this because Kang is going to be the big bad for the multiverse saga as he should be. Kang the Conqueror. He was expanded upon, or he's going to be expanded upon in this movie after the variant version we saw in Loki. Uh, He's known as He Who Remains. Uh, I I really can't wait for this movie. I really can't wait, which I have never said that about an Ant-Man movie, but I feel like Ant-Man is being put, he's like one of the elders now in the Avengers. Which is really weird to say because, man, it feels like the first Ant-Man movie came out just a couple years ago. 
like just yesterday. And now he played such a massive part in Endgame that gotta believe clearly he's gonna play a massive part in the multiverse saga here. And it's gonna start with Quantum Mania in February and Kane the Conqueror bursting onto the scene. Number two, I have uh Captain America New World Order, which I'm just really intrigued by this uh for a few reasons. I want to see how they improve upon Falcon and Winter Soldier, which didn't suck, but also wasn't great. Uh, but they did a great job passing the mantle to Sam. Tim Blake Nelson is reprising his role as the leader slash Samuel Stearns from The Incredible Hulk. If you remember in that movie, uh, Samuel Stearns was actually becoming the leader as the shit was leaking onto his head uh, at the end of that movie. And it's about time he comes back because Universal is being whores and not giving up the Hulk rights. Harrison Ford is is replacing William Hurt, who passed away as Thunderbolt Ross. I was actually really surprised by that announcement. I I couldn't believe it. I thought Harrison Ford would kind of make like he did in the last crusade of Indiana Jones and ride into the sunset, but guy wants checks. Can't blame him. Uh, Guardians 3 at my number three hyped project of phase six. Uh, like I said, I think it could be a swan song um, for this team having a movie. James Gunn is doing a lot of stuff with DC now. And I really don't want to see someone else make a Guardians of the Galaxy movie who's not named James Gunn. Um, I don't know if they'll kill off some characters, but I wonder what they'll do with Gamora now. It's very, it's very interesting to see what they're going to do there. And then number four, I have the Thunderbolts. The Thunderbolts, listen to this lineup here. The Winter Soldier, Bucky, of course, Ghost who is the villain in Ant-Man and the Wasp, the Red Guardian, David Harbour in Black Widow, Yelena Belova, the Black Widow's sister, played by Florence Pugh, Taskmaster, who hopefully gets a redemption arc here, U.S. Agent, the fuckboy, played by Wyatt Russell in Falcon Winter Soldier, and Valentine, Played by Julia Louis-Dreyfus, who was actually in Black Panther Wakanda Forever, coming back to be in the Thunderbolts. So I am really intrigued by this movie. Uh, and then coming again in Phase 6, we have some shows that are worth mentioning. Secret Invasion, Samuel L. Jackson coming back, and Ben Mendelsohn coming back. Uh, involves the scrolls and more outer space stuff there. But the big one, big ticket here... Daredevil Born Again, which news has just broke a couple days ago that it's going to be rated TVMA. And fuck yeah, it is. Fuck yeah, it is. This movie, this show should absolutely be rated TVMA. 18 episodes reportedly? Are you shitting me? Absolutely. Born Again is the quintessential Daredevil story. It is about a man being broken as far as he can go, the lowest point in his life, and then rising himself back up to 
take out the forces, namely the kingpin, that put him into that mess. If you're not familiar, Born Again, highly recommend reading it before this comes out. Quintessential Daredevil story. It starts out with uh, Karen Page, actually, who uh, is a drug addict and sells out Matt Murdock's identity as Daredevil to the Kingpin for a drug fix. Kingpin uses this advantage uh, to take down Matt Murdock's professional career, uh, his home, his personal life, breaks him down so much that he even tries to kill himself. But he rises back up and, of course, takes him down. There were some elements of this um, in season three of Daredevil, which, in my opinion, was the best season of the show. And but goddamn, I might rewatch that. But I would, I would highly encourage you if you haven't already to read Daredevil: Born Again. Uh, I'm sure you can get it on Amazon. It's a hell of a read. And now that it's rated TVMA, my hopes are back up. That just when I thought I was out, they pull me back in, and I am 100 in on it. That's it for the pod, folks. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Black Panther Wakanda Forever, in my opinion, the third best movie. Or, or, let me see here. Yes, I, yes, yes. I had a third. I'm tripping with myself. The third best movie in Phase 4. Um, definitely the best movie since No Way Home. Um, highly recommend it. Go see it. It's made some good money so far. Definitely not slowing down anytime soon. So check it out. Check the rest of the content out on the network. We have the Power Hour pounding out episodes. Uh, let me see what the latest episode was. Linsanity, giving your weekly recaps. I've been on there a couple times. Uh, probably will be on there again in the future. Uh, if you like listening to my sexy voice. So I'll be on there uh, to give Caleb and Bryce a hard time. Bryce needs to eat fucking crow on Russell Wilson for sucking and uh, Caleb needs to eat it on the Kansas city chiefs who have absolutely shoved it up his anus the whole season. Last episode was power hour Hornets, Celtics and trail and trailblazers with Alex and Dylan Hughes. So check that out when Sandy breaking down week 10 with Dylan, uh, that episode came out today next week. I'm going to have a pod next week. Not sure what it'll be about, but I will definitely have a pod. Don't know if I'll have a guest. Um, I have some ideas of what it would be. Don't want to say yet, um, but I will definitely put out a pod next week. So, thank you for listening, folks, and check us out on the network. 